Italian government has collapsed. Russia's complete government has resigned as Putin plans a huge constitutional shakeup. The declassification of Obamagate. D.C. lockdown of almost 25,000 soldiers supposedly to protect the virtual inauguration of a man that stole the president election of the United States of America. Kuwait's prime minister submits cabinet's resignations. The full cabinet. The Wuhan lab worked for Chinese military since 2017, says the United States Department, State Department. Benjamin D. Rothschilds dies of an apparent heart attack. A couple other elite uh, commit suicide. Right. Kansas nurses refuse to give the COVID-19 vaccine. No big deal, right? Nothing to see here in the news. Nothing's going on behind the scenes. By a show of hands, how many people knew 90% of what I just said? There's a whole lot more to come in this broadcast. Hey, everyone, and welcome to Around the Campfire with Kate, where we're not afraid to say what's on our mind. And we strive to inform you of the truth. Tonight we get to hear from John Lovell of War Poet Society. Where he talks about the war on words. He talks about it's time for courage, not political correctness. He talks about our freedoms and what's going on in our nation. So sit back and enjoy some of John's insights. We're going to talk about what Biden plans to do on his first day in office. Then I'm going to hit some speeches and a declaration from our history, lest we forget. This is a live call-in show. So if you'd like to call in and give your opinion or just make a statement, you can call in using Skype through PSN Radio. Or you can go through publicstreamingnetwork.com. Hello, my friends, and welcome. It's been an interesting week with recent developments, huge, massive shifts in our balance of power in our government, and big tech censoring, kicking off platforms. I want to talk about all of that stuff, and I really want to not only address what's going on, but give you some encouragement and a bit of a clear path forward as the way I see it, what I think our response should be. So this is where I'm at. Guys, to me, it's really not about Trump. Let me say again, this, to me, isn't about Trump at all. It's about the freedom of information. These big tech companies now control the free flow of information. If I want to know what's going on in the news, 70% of all millennials and probably higher than that get their news from social media. And so if social media decides this side, lefty news is good and conservative news is bad, they can literally cut you off so that you can't even see the opposition. Uh, Now they have the ability to decide who gets elected to public office, and they can literally shut down the president of the free world should they decide to. So now if media won't cover him and social media can't access him, you can't even hear from him. And I'm just saying, wow, whether you hate or love Trump, you got to say, hey, that's really dangerous stuff. 
Parler just got shut down because they weren't censoring people enough in the eyes of Amazon. So now they're gone. That's about a billion dollar company where conservative ideas and people who really love First and Second Amendment and Constitution, that's that's the big deal. Guys, if you're watching and you're not a conservative, maybe you're a liberal or a Democrat, hey, you're you're very welcome. I actually am thrilled you're here. We don't have to agree on politics. Us, what makes us warrior poets is we agree on a central truth, and that's we live for higher purpose and we're ready to sacrifice in the defense of others. We're also, as our ethos, warrior poets, we're freedom fighters, right? We love freedom. America's been the great experiment that was based on creating the most free nation that's ever existed, and our Constitution is what makes us Americans. It sets us apart, guaranteeing that we're able to hold on to those natural rights given by our creator and we're able to have uh, free speech, life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness. We have freedom, right? And our second amendment, the right to bear arms, guarantees that if a tyrannical government rose up, wanted to consolidate and control all power, you would have the means to defend yourself so that you stayed free. That's what the second amendment is about. It's not about defending yourself from the boogeyman when he comes to your house at night. It's about if a tyrannical system rose up that could censor, that can control information, that could keep you uh, from being free, what would be your recourse? It's guns. Now, a lot of you guys who are super stoked about uh, liberty and freedom and your fellow patriots like I am, I am very worried you're going to jump the gun wanting to result to a, a physical fight when this is not time for a physical fight. This is not a physical fight time. This is a war of ideas, guys. It's a cultural war, and the left has been playing it brilliantly and very successfully for a very long time. The left owns the silver screen. Most of our media outlets, ABC and CNN, MSNBC, and now it looks like Fox has uh, been encroached by this. I don't know. I'm eyes wide open. I'm watching, but it doesn't look good. Uh, they also control our educational system, academia, much of our liberal arts students, as you see all the woke young college kids that don't know anything and think that they are super in the know. <sighs> Holy cow, it looks really grim for a lot of folks that are just good old-fashioned patriots. I'm like, John, what are you for? I'm like, man, I'm for babies and family and freedom of speech and... You know, be a good person and protect others and love God and love your country and, you know, do good. It's like, that's what I want. Then leave me alone. <laughs> that's what I'm for, you know. I'm saying, guys, listen, I get that you're scared and it all looks extremely grim. But I'd remind you, we're in a war of ideas right now. And ideas are ever so much more powerful than guns. Ideas are more powerful. Words are more powerful. I remind you that the great experiment of America is built on the ideas. Our Constitution makes us, uh, makes us Americans. We recognize we're given God-given rights to life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. And we're given guns as our Second Amendment to say if a tyrannical government ever comes uh, to take away our freedom, you have the right to defend yourself. And so you have the right to bear arms. And that's what it is. It's the ultimate fail-safe. But you don't run there right away. If you're one of these dudes that right now sees the landscape and you're immediately ready to pick up guns and say, Viva la Revolution, I'll say, you are an idiot that's missing the picture. Are you so excited to slay your countrymen? Do you know anything about an actual uh, grisly, violent war? Do you know what it's like to actually kill and see death beside you? 
You don't want that unless you absolutely have to. And right now, guys, we are engaged in the battle of ideas. Leftism has been playing the battle of ideas for quite a long time. They're winning in ideas. And the way you beat ideas, the way we actually work forward out of this, is to see bad ideas and replace them with better ideas. You fight an ideological war with better ideas, right? And so, for instance, if you want to uh, change my mind on something, you can't do it with force. Uh, a guy like me of like, stop believing in Jesus. I'm like, you're going to have to kill me, bro. <laughs> Come at me. You know, like, I'm not going to stop. I'm not going to say you can't kill my idea with force. You can only kill an idea with better ideas. And that's what we're in, guys. We need to fight smarter with our words. And so this, this is going to come straight to you. This is what I want you to do. For a long time, many of you have been extremely polite uh, and kind and respectful as you're just going to work, being a good neighbor, trying not to ruffle anyone's feathers and say something that offends someone. Political correctness is a, is a weapon of the left designed to put a muzzle over you. You're so afraid. They're basically using our kindness against us, saying, don't ruffle anyone's feathers. Don't say something that would offend someone else. I'm like, guys, speak. Speak wherever you can. Last night, my wife and I went on a date. But we didn't leave before I gave our babysitter an earful on what I thought were uh, the most important stuff on freedom and values and the ideological war raging around us. Uh, and then uh, I was in line at an ATM yesterday as well. And there was a guy in front of me, and we struck up a conversation on the same thing. You're going to lose friends. You'll lose uh, family uh, over this who won't speak to you. Some neighbors will absolutely hate you. Uh, you are about to be hated by a lot of people. Uh, but you have to speak now. Now's the time for courage. Uh, if you have a moral system about you, but you bow to the mob that wants to intimidate you and silence you, I would argue that you have a moral system, but because a mob can shut you down and you don't have the courage to face them, you're not really moral. You're fake. You're coward. It's time to speak, guys. It's it, Don't play the game and let political correctness silence you. But I'd also add, want to add a tempering of this. The Bible tells me to speak the truth in love, and that's what I want to do. I don't want to throw down in a war with my own countrymen. I have zero interest in the second civil war, and if you wish for that, you suck, bro. No one should be excited about that idea. You suck, and you haven't really thought it through, so... Come on back, rein it in. Speaking the truth in love. I desire to proselytize my fellow American to good reason, to freedom loving, uh, to living for higher purpose. In effect, I want more warrior poets, people who are forces for good in the world. And yes, we possess great skill. So if we ever needed that fail safe, if anyone ever came to my door wanting to kill my family, I'm able to stand in the gap and do something about that. I'm not terrible at it. And I bet some of you aren't either. And that's a good thing. But that's a, that is a fail-safe thing. You don't go there now. Engage in the war of ideas. It's, it's all about having better arguments and talking about them everywhere you can. It's true that in a lot of places, social media has shut us down. I'm constantly facing uh, shadow banning. I have for years watching it in my analytics. It's so obvious uh, to us as we study our analytics on a daily basis that, that we're being...
uh, bullied, censored, shadow banned, demonetized. Don't be misled. Great amounts of freedom is just dying, and it's, it seems to be picking up an alarming rate. And so I need you to be bold and change culture from the ground up. You'd like it to be like, John, it's up to you. Why don't you speak? Why don't you do something? Man, I'm doing my part, but I am also want grassroots up, and that means you've got to get out there and talk to people. Don't be afraid to offend people. If people get offended easy, it's because they're weak and they need to get stronger. That's it. And like, <gasps> people will shriek at that, but that's true. It, it, the world is a dangerous place. That's the cost of free speech is some speech will offend you. Get stronger. That's it, right? Uh, guys, I recognize many uh, will be offended by this. Some will unfollow me. Some people will try to uh, get me shut down. And eventually, they may get us. Uh, but um, I'm going to speak the truth in love because I actually do care about you. And I even care about the people on the other side of the political divide that wants to cancel me and shout at me. They wish death upon me. But guess what? Speaking the truth in love, I would like to still rescue them uh, with a better and more noble ideology of freedom and real love and affection. And that's what I'm rolling on uh, right now. I suggest you do the same. Warrior Poets, thanks so much for tuning in. Um, I'm on a journey. I'm still growing. I'm still learning. I'm thinking uh, deeply. I'm trying to keep my head calm and cool in the midst of grim times. And I know there's a great amount of us that feel like I do, and you're scared. Veronica Escobar, a member of Congress, sent a letter to Senator Mitch McConnell, the majority leader, and Senator Charles Schumer, the minority leader of the Senate. And the letter reads, Majority Leader McConnell and Minority Leader Schumer, we write to support the expulsion of Senator Ted Cruz from the Senate for his role in the attack on the United States of America on January 6, 2021. As you know, a mob of terrorists stormed the U.S. Capitol armed with weapons, attempting to overturn the results of the 2020 presidential election. Senator Cruz's objection to the election of Joe Biden and Kamala Harris helped incite the attack and gave credence to a process that had no chance of succeeding and pull all of us in danger. In his effort to appease Donald Trump and his supporters, Senator Cruz encouraged these terrorists to wage armed insurrection against America. It is evident Senator Cruz echoed Trump's false voter fraud claims for political gain, going so far as sending a fundraising plea during the armed standoff in the Capitol where members of Congress, staff and journalists were held hostage for hours. The Capitol was damaged, people lost their lives, and our democracy nearly perished. We believe Senator Cruz's conduct was seditious and he must be held accountable. The Constitution provides a process for expelling members of Congress for such conduct. Article 1, Section 5 provides that, quote, each house may determine the rules of its proceedings, punish its members for disorderly behavior, and, with the concurrence of two-thirds, expel a member, unquote. Senator Cruz's expulsion from the Senate must be swift to show that Congress does not tolerate such behavior. We look forward to your response, and... Urgent action. Sincerely, Veronica Escobar. Really? Just because you say something happened does not mean 
that it happened. I am not discounting the fact that the Capitol was stormed. Very few had weapons. Senator Cruz had nothing to do with what happened on January 6th. They were not held hostage. And just because somebody backs Donald Trump does not mean that he incited a riot. And where was she during all of this time when Washington, D.C. was held hostage last summer? Was she one of the ones that was backing them and saying, oh, these are peaceful protests? But when the tables are turned, they get all been out of shape. Let's review the facts, shall we? Cory Booker wants to punch the president in the face. Joe Biden wants to beat up the president. Maxine Waters incites others to harass Trump supporters in public. Jimmy Kimmel and other late-night hosts joke about assassinating the president. Snoop Dogg makes videos assassinating the president. Kathy Griffin poses with a severed, bloody head of President Trump. Johnny Depp jokes about assassinating the president. Madonna wants to blow up the White House. Black Lives Matter's chants that they want cops dead and fry them like bacon. Antifa routinely assaults Republicans and conservatives. AOC calls our Border Patrol agents Nazis, refusing to condemn violence against them. Representative Scalise was shot by a Bernie Sanders supporter, and he nearly died. The so-called squad supports terrorists of Hamas and Palestine and routinely spews anti-Semitic rhetoric. Congress refuses to call out Elim Omar for her anti-Semitic and anti-American remarks. Rashid Tlaib calls President motherfucker, quote, unquote. Now you tell me, who's the political party of hate, violence, intolerance, and vulgarity and profanities? Let's listen to Dr. Kissinger when he explains, quote, once the herd accepts mandatory forcible vaccination, it's game over. They will accept anything, forcible blood or organ donation for the greater good. We can genetically modify their children and sterilize them for the greater good. Control the sheep minds and you control the herd. Vaccine makers stand to make billions, and many of you in this room today are investors. It's a big win-win. We thin out the herd, and the herd pays us for providing extermination services. Unquote. Let that sink in. Go ahead. Think about what I just read. I've been thinking about it. We are there, folks. We are are there. And it seems like the sheepwalkers want to just stay at home and continue doing what you've been doing all along because it can't be that bad. I still got my social security check. I still get free health care. I'm good to go. This is not going to affect me. Okay. 
Keep thinking that. And do not come crying to me when stuff happens. Because I warned you. Listen to this. According to the Washington Post, at Trump's last days of presidency, Acting Defense Secretary orders NSA Director to immediately install former GOP operative as the agency's top lawyer. It is unclear that the, what the NSA will do. The agency and the Pentagon declined any comment. In November, Pentagon General Counsel Paul Ney Jr. named Michael Ellis, at the time a White House official, to the position of General Counsel of the NSA, a career civilian post at the government's largest and most technologically advanced spy agency. That's what the Post reported. They also said he was selected after a competitive civil service competition. He has not taken up the job, however, as he needed to complete administrative procedures, including a polygraph test. I reached by phone on Saturday. Ellis said, quote, I don't talk to the press, thank you, unquote, and hung up. Miller gave NSA Director Paul Nakasson until 6 p.m. Saturday to install Ellis in the job, according to several people who spoke on the condition of anonymity because of the matters of sensitivity. The 6 p.m. deadline passed without Nakasson taking action, and it's unclear Saturday evening what the Pentagon's next move is going to be. Nakasson was not in favor of Ellis's selection and has sought to delay his installation, according to several people. Ellis's naming was made under pressure from the White House. It drew criticism from national security legal experts. It, quote, appears to be an attempt to improperly politicize an important career position, unquote, wrote Susan Hennessy, a former lawyer in the NSA office of the general counsel. The move is troubling, they say coming as it does four days before President Trump supposedly is to leave office and the Biden administration is supposed to take over. A former U.S. officials have said, the move makes it more difficult for the Biden administration to immediately replace him, the former officials say. Quote, an 11th hour move like this and a directive from the acting Secretary of Defense is overwhelmingly strong evidence of irregularity. Hennessy said on Saturday, he also says, unless the acting Secretary of Defense can produce a compelling rationale for why this individual needed to be installed now, there should be presumptive presumption that this is improper and the Biden team should remove this individual on day one. There's also concerns about Ellis's qualifications for the job according to several people. One individual said that those issues include the possibility that he was picked over candidates who scored higher during the interview process. Pushing back against critics, one U.S. official said that the two prior NSA general counsels had ties to the Obama administration. Glenn Gerdstel, who retired a year ago, raised $50,000 for the Obama campaign in 2012, he said. And Gerdstel's predecessor, 
Raj Day was White House Staff Secretary in the Obama administration prior to arriving at the NSA. The concern of Nakasone and others, current and former officials said, is the White House seeking to burrow Ellis into the job in violation of a long-standing policy that prevents embedding political personnel into career civilian positions prior to a change in administration. But they do it all the time. Why is this administration being penalized for something that all other administrations have been doing in the past? Nakasone recently got a verbal indication from the Office of Personnel Management that the policy did not apply to intelligence community employees, according to one U.S. official. On Thursday, he requested a written legal opinion on that point, according to two officials, and he's not yet received that written opinion that the officials have said. Ellis previously was chief counsel to Representative Devin Nunez, a Republican out of California, who is a staunch Trump supporter and former chairman of the House Intelligence Committee. Ellis joined the White House in 2017 when he became a lawyer on the National Security Council, and in 2019 he was elevated to senior director for intelligence. Some conspiracy theorists claim that the military around the nation's capital, with barbed wire on the top of the fencing facing inward, because there will be massive arrests come January 20th, and the military is there to keep the peace during these arrests. They also claim that President Trump will remain in office for another four years. I do not know what's going on. Nor do I know what the real plan is. Nor does anyone else save for the elite. What I do know is that what is happening right now is nothing that this nation has ever seen before on our soil. So when I tell you to buckle up, I mean to buckle up because we're in for a very bumpy ride. So now let's look at what the Biden crime family plans to do if Biden is sworn in on Wednesday. According to Newsmax, in his first hours as president, Joe Biden plans to take executive action immediately to roll back some of the most important decisions of his predecessor and to address the raging coronavirus pandemic, according to his incoming chief of staff. That was that he said yesterday. The opening salvo would herald a 10 day blitz of executive orders and executive actions as Biden seeks to act swiftly to redirect the country in the wake of Donald Trump's presidency without even waiting for Congress. On Wednesday, following his inauguration, Biden will end Trump's restriction on immigration to the United States from some Muslim-majority countries. He's going to move to rejoin the Paris Climate Accord and mandate masks being worn on federal property and during 
interstate travel. Those are among roughly a dozen or so actions that Biden plans to take the first day in the White House at noon. So he has a half a day to do all this stuff just with a stroke of a pen. This is coming from his incoming chief of staff, Ron Klain, that he typed in a memo to the other incoming senior staff. Other actions include extending the pause on student loan payments and actions meant to prevent evictions and foreclosures for those struggling during the pandemic. My question is, who's going to pay for all these student loans? Who's going to pay the landlords and the homeowners and the landowners? Quote, these executive actions will deliver relief to the millions of Americans that are struggling in the face of these crises, Klan said. President-elect Biden will take action, not just to reverse the gravest damages of the Trump administration, but also to start moving our country forward, unquote. He also says that as he inherits the White House from President Donald Trump, Biden's plate will be overflowing with acute challenges. They're saying that the United States is fast approaching 400,000 people dead from the COVID-19 crisis and logging well over a million new cases a week as the coronavirus spreads out of control. Only none of that can be proven. Think about that. Well, the news said so. Really? After all this time, you believe the news? Well, aren't you special? He goes on to say that the economy is ailing with 10 million fewer jobs available compared to the start of the pandemic. And millions of Americans who track excuse me, who backed Donald Trump, refused to recognize Biden as the legitimate president. Really? I agree with that. Full achievement of Biden's goals will require Congress to act, Klain wrote, including, get this, the $1.9 trillion virus relief bill that he outlined on Thursday. Klain said that Biden would also propose a comprehensive immigration reform bill to lawmakers on his first day in office. Now, where are we getting this $1.9 trillion? It is not going into our pocket. And why are we, the people, not allowed to see what is in this bill? Biden wants to provide a path to citizenship for millions of immigrants in the United States illegally here. And it'll be a part of Biden's agenda, according to people that's been briefed on his plans. Ali Nurani, president of the National Immigration Forum, and among those briefed, said immigrants would be put on an eight 
year path. There would be a faster track for those in the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals program, which shields people from deportation who came to the United States as children and for those from strife-torn countries with temporary status. On Thursday, the new president's second day in office, Biden plans to sign orders related to the COVID-19 outbreak aimed at reopening schools and businesses and expanding virus testing, Glenn said. Let me stop right there for a second. If going to the grocery store is a bad thing, and this virus is so rampant that it is killing people, why are we opening the schools? Now, you really don't want to know my opinion on on the COVID-19. You really don't. The following day on Friday, we will see action on providing economic relief to those suffering the economic costs of the pandemic. Where is this relief coming from? It is not included in the $1.9 trillion. In the following week, get this, Klein said, Biden would take additional actions relating to criminal justice reform, climate change, and immigration including a directive to speed the reuniting of families separated at the U.S.-Mexican border under Trump's policies. Can someone explain to me what criminal justice reform is? Klein also says that more actions will be added once they clear legal review. Klein maintained that Biden should not suffer similar issues as Trump did within the courts with his executive orders because they claim, quote, the legal theory behind them is well-founded and represents a restoration of an appropriate constitutional role for the president, unquote. My heart hurts, people. I see what's coming for our nation and the American people. And I'm helpless to stop it. I hear people say, well, vote them out. Well, how has that helped in the last eight years? How has that helped in the last four years? Vote them out. The majority of the American population voted for President Donald Trump. Biden crime family stole that election. So do not preach to me about let's vote them out. Let me remind you of our Declaration of Independence in Congress, July 4th, 1776. The unanimous declaration of the 13 states of the United States of America when in the course of human events it becomes necessary for one people 
to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and of nature's God entitle them. A decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the causes which impel them to the separation. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed, that whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or to abolish it and to institute a new government, laying its foundation on such principles and organizing its powers in such form as to them shall seem most likely to affect their safety and happiness. Prudence, indeed, will dictate that governments long established should not be changed for light and transient causes, and accordingly all experience hath shown that mankind are more disposed to suffer, while evils are sufferable than to right themselves by abolishing the forms to which they are accustomed. But when a long train of abuses and usurpations pursuing invariably the same object invinces a design to reduce them under absolute despotism, it is their right, it is their duty to throw off such government and to provide new guards for their future security. Such has been the patient sufferance of these colonies, and such is now the necessity which constrains them to alter their former systems of government. The history of the present King of Britain is a history of repeated injuries and usurpations, all having a direct object the establishment of an absolute tyranny over these states. To prove this, let facts be submitted to a candid world. He refused his assent to laws, the most wholesome and necessity for the public good. He has forbidden his governors to pass laws of immediate and pressing importance unless suspended in their operation till his assent should be obtained. And when so suspended, he has utterly neglected to attend to them. He has refused to pass other laws for the accommodation of large districts of people unless those people would relinquish the right of representation in the legislature, a right inestimable to them and formidable to tyrants only. He has called together legislative bodies at places unusual, uncomfortable, and distant from the depository of their public records for the sole purpose of fatiguing them into compliance with his measures. 
He has dissolved representative houses repeatedly for opposing the manly firmness, his invasions on the rights of the people. He has refused for a long time after such dissolutions to cause others to be elected whereby the legislative powers incapable of annihilation have returned to the people at large for their exercise, the state remaining in the meantime exposed to all the dangers of invasion from without and convulsions within. He has endeavored to prevent the population of these states for that purpose obstructing the laws of naturalism of foreigners, refusing to pass others to encourage their migrations hither, and raising the conditions of new appropriations of the land. He has obstructed the administration of justice by refusing his assent to laws for establishing judiciary powers. He has made judges dependent on his will alone for the tenure of their offices and the amount and payment of their salaries. He has erected a multitude of new offices and sent hither swarms of officers to harass our people and eat out of their substance. He has kept among us in times of peace, standing armies without the consent of our legislatures. He has affected to render the military independent of and superior to civil power. He has combined with others to subject us to jurisdiction foreign to our Constitution and acknowledged by our laws, giving his assent to their acts of pretended legislation. For quartering large bodies of armed troops among us, for protecting them by a mock trial for punishment for any murders which they should commit on the inhabitants of these states, for cutting off our trade with all other parts of the world, for imposing taxes on us without our consent, for depriving us, in many cases, of the benefit of trial by jury, for transporting us beyond seas to be tried for pretended offenses, for abolishing the free system of English laws in a neighboring province, establishing therein an arbitrary government and enlarging its boundaries so as to render it at once an example and fit instrument for introducing the same absolute rule into these colonies. For taking away our charters, abolishing our most valuable laws, and altering fundamentally the forms of our government. For suspending our own legislatures and declaring themselves invested with power to legislate for us in all cases whatsoever. He has abdicated government here by declaring us out of his protection and waging war against us. He's plundered our seas, ravished our coasts, burned our towns, and destroyed the lives of our people. He is at this time transporting large armies of foreign mercenaries to complete the works of death, desolation, and tyranny, already begun with circumstances of cruelty and purify scarcely paralleled in the most barbarous ages and totally unworthy the head of a civilized nation.
He has constructed our fellow citizens taken captive on the high seas to bear arms against their country, to become the executioners of their friends and brethren, or to fall themselves by their hands. He has excited domestic insurrections among us and has endeavored to bring on the inhabitants of our frontiers the merciless Indian savages whose known rule of warfare is an undistinguished destruction of all ages, sexes, and conditions. In every stage of these oppressions, we have petitioned for redress in the most humblest of terms. Our repeated positions have been answered only by repeated injury. A prince, whose character is thus marked by every act which may define a tyrant, is unfit to be ruler of a free people. Nor have we been wanting in attentions to our British brethren. We have warned them from time to time of attempts by their legislature to extend an unwarrantable jurisdiction over us. We have reminded them of the circumstances of our immigration and settlement here. We have appealed to their native justice and magnanimity. And we have conjured them by the ties of our common kindred to disavow these usurpations, which would inevitably interrupt our connections and correspondence. They, too, have been deaf to the voice of justice and our consanguinity. We must, therefore, acquiesce in the necessity which denounces our separation and hold them as we hold the rest of mankind enemies in war, in peace, friends. We, therefore, the representatives of the United States of America and General Congress assembled, appealing to the Supreme Judge of the world for the rectitude of our intentions, do, in the name and by authority of the good people of these colonies, solemnly publish and declare that these united colonies are, and of right, ought to be free and independent states, that they are absolved from all allegiance to the British crown, and that all political connection between them and the state of Great Britain is and ought to be totally dissolved, and that as free and independent states, they have full power to levy war, conclude peace contract alliances, establish commerce, and to do all other acts and things which independent states may of right do. And for the support of this declaration, with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. Does it sound familiar to you? Everything that is happening to us now is everything of the reasons why this was signed for a declaration of independence against a tyrannical king. But you say, okay, we don't have a king. We have a Congress that is out of control. They believe that they are God. They believe and queens and that we should be bowing to them. We should not be afraid of them. They should be afraid of us. 
we the people of the United States in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity. Do ordain and establish this constitution for the United States of America. I encourage each one of you that is listening to my voice right now to personally get to know our United States Constitution. Patrick Henry made a speech on March 23rd, 1775. And I agree with this speech. And he says, no man thinks more highly than I do of the patriotism as well as abilities of the very worthy gentlemen who have just addressed the house. But different men often see the same subject in different lights. And therefore, I hope it will not be thought disrespectful to those gentlemen if entering, as I do, opinions of a character very opposite to theirs. I speak forth my sentiments freely and without reserve. This is no time for ceremony. The question before the house is one of awful moment to this country. For my own part, I consider it as nothing less than a question of freedom or slavery. And in proportion to the magnitude of the subject ought to be the freedom of the debate. It is only in this way that we can hope to arrive at truth and fulfill the great responsibility which we hold to God and our country. Should I keep back my opinions at such a time through fear of giving offense? I should consider myself as guilty of treason towards my country and of an act of disloyalty toward the majesty of heaven which I revere above all earthly kings. Mr. President, it is natural to man to indulge in the illusions of hope. We are apt to shut our eyes against a painful truth and listen to the song of that siren till she transforms us into beasts. Is this the part of wise men engaged in a great and arduous struggle for liberty? Are we disposed to be of the number of those who, having eyes, see not, and having ears, hear not, the things which so nearly concern their temporal salvation? For my part, whatever anguish of spirit it may cost, I am willing to know the whole truth, to know the worst, and to provide for it. I have but one lamp by which my feet are guided, and that is the lamp of experience. 
I know of no way of judging of the future, but by the past. And judging by the past, I wish to know what there has been in the conduct conduct of the British ministry for the last 10 years to justify those hopes with which gentlemen have been pleased to solace themselves and the house. Is it that which gentlemen have been pleased? I messed that one up. Is it that insidious smile with which our petition has been lately received? Trust it not, sir. It will prove to be a snare to your feet. Suffer not yourselves to be betrayed with a kiss. Ask yourselves how this gracious reception of our petition comports with those warlike preparations which cover our waters and darken our land. Are fleets and armies necessary to a work of love and reconciliation? Have we shown ourselves so unwilling to be reconciled that force must be called in to win back our love? Let us not deceive ourselves, sir. These are the implements of war and subjugation, the last arguments to which kings resort. I ask, gentlemen, sir, what means this martial array? If its purpose be not to force us to submission, can gentlemen assign any other possible motive for it? Has Great Britain any enemy in this quarter of the world to call for all this accumulation of navies and armies? No, sir. She has none. They are meant for us. They can be meant for no other. They are sent over to bind and rivet upon us those chains which the British ministry have been so long forging. And what have we to oppose them? We try argument? Sir, we have been trying that for the last ten years. Have we anything new to offer upon the subject? Nothing. We've held the subject up in every light in which is capable. But it has all been in vain. Shall we resort to entreaty and humble supplication? What terms shall we find which have not been already exhausted? Let us not, I beseech you, sir, deceive ourselves. Sir, we've done everything that could be done to avert the storm which is now coming on. We have petitioned, we have remonstrated, we have supplicated, we have prostrated ourselves before the throne and have implored its interposition to arrest the tyrannical hands of the ministry and parliament. Our positions, petitions have been slighted. Our remonstrances have produced additional violence and insults. Our supplications have been disregarded and we have been spurned with contempt from the foot of the throne. In vain, after these things, may we indulge the fond hope of peace and reconciliation. There is no longer any room for hope. If we wish to be free, 
if we mean to preserve and violate those inestimable privileges for which we have been struggle and what in which we have been so long engaged and which we have pledged ourselves never to abandon until the glorious object of our contests shall be obtained. We must fight. I repeat, sir, we must fight and appeal to arms and to the God of hosts in all that is left in us. They tell us, sir, that we are weak, unable to cope with formidable adversary. But when shall we be stronger? Will it be the next week or the next year? Will it be when we are totally disarmed and when a British guard shall be stationed in every house? Shall we gather strength by irresolution and inaction? Shall we acquire the means of effectual resistance by lying supinely on our backs and hugging the delusive phantom of hope until our enemies shall have bound us hand and foot? Sir, we are not weak if we make a proper use of those means which the God of nature hath placed in our power. The millions of people armed in the holy cause of liberty and in such a country as that which we possess are invincible by any force which our enemy can send against us. Besides, sir, we shall not fight our battles alone. There is a just God who presides over the destinies of nations and who will raise up friends to fight our battles for us. The battle, sir, is not to be strong alone. It is to the vigilant, the active, the brave. Besides, sir, we have no election. If we were base enough to desire it, it is now too late to retire from the contest. There is no retreat, but in submission and slavery, our chains are forged. Their clanking may be heard on the plains of Boston. The war is inevitable, and let it come. I repeat, sir, let it come. It is in vain, sir, to accentuate the matter. Gentlemen may cry, peace, peace, but there is no peace. The war is actually begun. The next gale that sweeps from the north will bring to our ears the clash of resounding arms. Our brethren are already in the field. Why stand we here idle? What is it that gentlemen wish? What would they have? If life so dear or peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains or slavery, forbid it, almighty God. I know not what course others may take. But as for me, give me liberty or give me death. This ends the broadcast for me tonight. Thank you for joining me around my campfire as we talk about our great nation and her possible destruction. Remember, train hard, train smart.
to survive, thrive, and stay alive. This is Kate.